can you two tell us about a recent date or, or, you know, another moment, just even if it was at home in your backyard where you kind of looked at each other and said, this is beautiful. Um, so this year is going to be our three-year anniversary on the 3rd of November. And we decided that leading up to it, we were going to book um, an activity for each other, a surprise activity for each other. Ooh, suspense. Welcome to How To. I'm Courtney Martin. The other day, we heard from a listener who we're going to call Anjali. She's experiencing those blissful early days of marriage. So my name is Anjali. I live in London. I'm a secondary school teacher. I teach English. And this is Anjali's husband, who we're calling Rahul. Hi, my name is Rahul. Uh, I'm a mechanical engineer and I right now work at Amazon uh, in their operations team. When did you fall in love? Tell us the story. Oh, I feel like it's happening every day. <laughs> <laughs> so we met in London. We met on a dating app. I used to work in Seattle um, and I had moved to London just for a year. So it was just meant to be a one-year assignment. And I met Anjali in month 11 and we immediately connected and I kind of paused and decided to not move back to Seattle and stay in London. Yeah, but I didn't know that he was supposed to move back. So we met in June and he was due to move back in July and all the paperwork had gone through. And then we started dating and then it was maybe October, November when he's like, oh yeah, I was just, I was supposed to leave and I didn't because I met you in a very nonchalant way. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't realize because at that time I wasn't looking for something serious. So I think he thought that that would freak me out. <laughs> wow. That's so interesting. Very early on, we kind of decided this was it. Sort of six months in, we told our parents, which were both Indian. And in our culture, if you tell the parents, that's a really, really big step. Basically proposing marriage. So um, we did within sort of six or seven months. Yeah. And then, yeah, never looked back. Now, how did you know that Rahul was the one, so to speak? I didn't see any red flags. And that was a big, big deal for me. And I didn't have, I didn't make very smart decisions when it came to dating before. And I could always spot the red flags, but decided to override anyway. But this time I genuinely could not find red flags and that was nice. And I also kind of very early on knew that he was, he was not messing about. There were no games, there were no um, power dynamics. He was very honest, very transparent about everything. And that was nice. Except when he thought he might freak you out, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like. <laughs> Which I understand. I think that that was a very wise, wise move. Rahul, what about you? How did you know she was the one? Um, yeah, I guess for me, it was pretty similar, like having dated uh, a few other people before her was, was pretty clear on like what works and what doesn't work for me in, in, in my life. Um, and I just saw like um, the level of compatibility that I was uh, super comfortable with and I could see not just myself happy with her, but also my parents and the extended family uh, be super happy about um, us and our relationships. So yeah, that was important as well. What Rahul is saying is that marriage is about so much more than just two people. You know, it's about our families and our chosen families and our communities of friends. So that's how Anjali and Rahul started out. And soon they're going to mark their third anniversary, which is exciting, but also a little nerve wracking. They feel like there are certain benchmarks for marriage and they're worried they're not keeping up. 
I feel like me and Rahul both both of us dated other people before we got married. And when you're dating, it feels like marriage is kind of the end goal. And then now that we're married, um, I think especially sort of in the last six months or so, everyone's like, oh, when are you having a kid? And that seems like a very normal progression. And I know that there's all these milestones for relationships, but we've been thinking a lot about what does growth mean and what does growth look like once you've once you're settled into your marriage so that a things are just not it's not boring because most of the time actually we're just both at work and then we come home and then we do these chores and then we go to bed um so how do <laughs> how do you deal with the sort of mundane everyday routine things that marriage comes with but then also how do you how do you keep growing and how do you set goals for yourself within the marriage. This is a fantastic question. Now look, even if you're not in a marriage or some other long-term commitment, you know the situation on day one is not necessarily the situation in, say, year two or, for goodness sake, year 22. People change, they grow, and the relationship has to grow with them. When it comes to this kind of advice, experience counts, right? Now, I've been married to my husband, John, for a little while, 11 years, I think it is, although I did have to text him to double check. But for today's experts, we've called in a couple who has been making it work for more than two decades. Carol and Jay Casbon are writers who share a bunch of passions, higher ed, spirituality, what they call inner work, and long-lasting marriage. They're the co-authors of a great new book called Side by Side, The Sacred Art of Couples Aging with Love and Wisdom. Carol and Jay talk to more than a dozen very different couples about their relationships. On today's show, they'll share that knowledge with Anjali and Rahul and with you too. Now don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back. We're back, and before we dive in, I just gotta say, we all know that no two relationships are alike, much less no two marriages. Some are loud, you know, fueled by fighting and laughing and shouting. Some are quiet, sweet, and steady, an oasis of calm. Some are between a man and a woman. Some are between people who identify as the same gender, and some are between people who change their gender identity along the way. Some have kids, some don't. Some cook every night and use cloth napkins. Shout out to my husband, John Kerry. Some only order in. You get the picture. There is no universal advice for marriage. Now, having said that, there are some beautiful practices and intentions that can make any kind of romantic relationship strong, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, earlier we heard that Anjali and Rahul met each other on a dating app, but Carol and Jay met each other at work in the before Tinder times, 25 long years ago. Yeah, we were uh, at working together at Lewis and Clark College. Uh, Jay was in the administration end and I was a professor. And there was a deep soul recognition between us. And it it was like an instant, once, once it clicked, it's like there was no going back. And there was a little bit of tension because of 
being in the same workplace, and so we had to work around that. But um, it was a, a wild and passionate uh, time for us, and and we married uh, 22 years ago and have been, have been together about 25 years. Our connection wasn't one based on language. There was a presence that Carol had. It was a field of energy that I just... I said, I know this energy. This really feels good. And I just, I didn't know anything about Carol. This was a large university, but I just really, really liked her. And I remember we were traveling someplace and uh, we were taking our baggage off of the uh, the cubby holes on top of our plane seats. And I just looked at her and I said, I know her. There's something really deep here going on. So after that, there was nothing that was going to get in the way after that. So it's been that it's been that way ever since. So let's pause for a second on that. What a time for Cupid's arrow to hit you. You're struggling to get that roller bag out of the overhead compartment. Not my most graceful moment. I'm guessing you relate, but it's beautiful. It's been a quarter century. It worked since that pivotal moment on the airplane. Now, for our younger couple, Anjali and Rahul, that must seem like a daunting stretch of time, especially when they're not sure what should happen in year three. I guess if we don't do the next thing that society is telling us we should do, which is have kids or, you know, whatever that next thing looks like, then what happens? Then it's just the two of us um, for the rest of our lives. And I think, so our parents definitely want us to kind of move in the have kids, start a family kind of direction. Um, And one of their arguments towards, you know, don't stay childless is it's just going to be the two of you. What are you going to do? You know, when you're 40, when you're 50, um, you need kids. They're what bring life into your surroundings. They're what make it not boring. So but if we don't go down that route, then what happens? Mm. And what is what is your relationship, if you don't mind me asking? Mm. Do you want kids? Are you still figuring out if you want kids? I mean, on your own, separate from this advice you're getting. I'm just sure. asking about like your own soul's calling. Are you feeling like you all want children? We did go back and forth for a while. We I also listened to the How To episode um, with Cheryl Strayed on when you should have kids. And I thought that was a what she says about ghost ships was really nice. And I think that made us realize... Um, We probably do want kids and we don't know when, we don't know what that looks like. Um, We live far away from our parents. So we'd like sort of more support around us, more community. And we've just moved into a new house that we bought as well. So very much feels like a bit of a transition period at the moment. So definitely not now, but I think maybe in the future. Well, you know, I I just want to, if you don't mind, speak to the child pressure issue. I, I was married when I was 27, to, not to Jay, to my first partner, and I, w- I was not ready to be a parent. I was very career-focused and interested in going into teaching like you. I taught high school, and there was nothing in me that was calling to have children, and mm-hmm. I felt um, really out of the stream of society because there's so much pressure on women, and so I, I just want to acknowledge the choice of having a child needs to align with a deep inner calling. I just really want to encourage you both to really tap into both 
do you have the calling to do this? Because it's a huge mm-hmm. job and, and, and it's hard on your relationship. It won't make your relationship easier. <laughs> and so <laughs> the realities of having children, I have this thing called holy timing. There's not only the decision of, do I want to do this, but is this the right timing? And I, I just want to honor your concerns. So I waited till I was 37, and then I just knew in my heart it was time. And a lot of people will tell you, oh, that's geriatric or whatever, but that was my time, and it was the right time. Um, when you talk about sort of, I can't remember the phrase you use, like tuning in to your calling, how do you, how do you tune in? Well, for me, I believe in the power of questions. And I'm a writer, so I, I write a lot. <laughs> so um, uh, a rabbi friend of ours said, let a question be a quest. And so when I'm questing after, like, am I supposed to do this? I will activate that quest by um, writing the question and then turning to spirit and asking for guidance. I meditate, I journal, and I listen for intuitive guidance and a deep knowing. And when it's in alignment, then there's, we we call it, there's a hell yes, it's time. And then as a couple, you both, you know, you want to practice mutuality. This is one, back to your question of how do we keep us alive? This is a question that deeply impacts both of you. So I would just say, give it time, let it breathe. There's no Mm -hmm. rush. We're so, um, in Western culture, especially, we're we're usually responding to external pressures and rather than exploring and empowering our internal quest, uh, we do silence a lot. We do it as a couple. And, uh, and what silence does for us is it, it helps us to get in tune with our internal makings, our inner selves. And when we really do that and get in touch, that opens that space uh, because timing is usually externally applied. It's somebody else's agenda. It's, uh, it's a cultural agenda, a parental agenda, whatever. And as Carol so beautifully said, it may not align with your internal timing because that's what really we're talking about. And so to get in touch with that timing, it has to be internal. So I just, I think what you're feeling is completely okay. It's completely beautiful, actually, and uh, it's a quest. Listen to it. Here's our first insight. When you're spending so much time as a couple, it's easy to forget that you're an individual. Don't lose sight of your inner work, especially when it comes to big questions like having kids. As Carol says, take your time when making a decision like that. Kids may cure the boredom, but parenting itself will test your relationship in ways you could not have imagined. Trust me. Now, one of the best ways to do that in our work is to spend time in silence. I think we often think about good restorative silence as something that only happens when we're alone. That if we're silent together, that means something must be wrong with us. But that's just not true. Not when it's intentional. I wanted to ask you what happens when the quests crash into each other, when like one of you is carrying a question as a quest and the other one is is perhaps as well and then your holy timing doesn't line up as we know so often happens with, with couples. Could I actually add to your question? I think it's evident 
to anyone that meets us, but I'm very sort of hyper aware of things and I'm, I'm an overthinker. Um, I have to constantly keep myself busy. And then Rahul's much more sort of calmer, quieter, um, more, I guess he's sort of let things happen and then we'll deal with it. Whereas I'm on the other end where I'm like, oh, I have to preempt everything possible before it actually happens. So I think that's such a great question about what happens when two people are completely different in their approach to, to life and to marriage and to problem solving in general. Well, I think that tension, uh, that's a tension between the two of you in terms of your operating style. And uh, I think that's very, very healthy as long as it's attended to and we don't go into a stonewalling and pretend it doesn't exist. Back to asking questions, you know, I'm feeling that we need to do this now. I'm feeling that we need to get prepared now. How do you feel? And what's going on with you about this? And then that space, that's the space where things begin to happen. I think Carol and I, um, we have learned to fight that disagree, to move into a space that uh, there is tension. And that's actually helped us tremendously. And this is what we learned from the couples that we interviewed, that every couple has to go into this really creative space. When, when there's a conflict in a relationship, if you don't avoid it and you go into it, that is your growth edge. Sometimes we need help on those edges, I would say. Uh, we have. One therapist I really admire talks about, really, the therapist they're not there to fix you. They're not there to tell you what to do, but to have the difficult conversations. And that's where the growth and aliveness is, ironically. And then there's intimacy. And the intimacy is where those edges are, these hard decisions um, or, or things that are, you're, you're upset with each other for whatever. There are a million reasons to be that, right? Yeah, and intimacy is just not uh, passion or sex. It's, it's, I think deep intimacy involves the very thing Carol's talking about, which is willing to go into the non-discussables yeah. that are between you and to explore that space. Now you're talking about that's where it gets juicy. That's what's alive. That's right. <laughs> and and also it's what I often want to run the other way from because it's work and it's painful sometimes. And sometimes it's like Jay got on my case this morning about something I said the other night at that great day we had. And I got really defensive and upset. And I've been thinking about it ever since. And I know there's some truth in what he's saying. And so there's growth. There's some growth there for me. And one of the reasons I, I really believe in relationships is how, how would I gotten that mirroring had he not mirrored my behavior to me? Mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the great gifts you give each other, even though it takes quite a bit of maturity to receive that gift. And so you have to work on your own inner strengths so that you can stand up to the mirroring you get that your relationship creates, if that makes sense. One of the hardest things about marriage is the sort of intimacy and tension you're talking about. Um, it seems like a lot of us get into marriages where we go to the same place over and over and over again in that tension and conflict. And I hear you saying, 
you know, look to outside experts to help you in those moments that maybe you need a third perspective and someone to sort of hold it for you. And I don't know if you've experienced this yet, um, Anjali and Rahul, but I have yet to meet a couple who doesn't say like, we had the same fight for, you know, five years, and then we finally got to a different place. Speaking of boredom. um, So what Carol and Jay, do you have thoughts about that when you when you're a couple and you just keep grinding on the same, maybe different versions of the same fight, but essentially the same fight over and over, and it doesn't feel growth producing. It doesn't feel, you know what I mean. It just feels yes. stagnant. Do you mind if I talk a little bit more? I, um, no, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> we have attention on who talks too much. <laughs> we both do. <laughs> no, you talk too much. No, no. Parker Palmer has this uh, this saying: "If you spot it, you got it." <laughs> that really, really plays out in relationships. One of we, one of our teachers of relationships name is Terry Real. And he's he's an incredible writer and you guys might want to access some of his stuff. He's a terrific therapist and, too. And you know, I just want to lift up relationships are living entities. And and they need fresh energy and they need investment just like your jobs do. No one told us that. No one told us, you know, you should be studying relationships. You know, why don't you form a couples group and you can find out everybody else is, you know, everybody else is going through this too. You don't have to be alone. We're, we're big believers in reaching out and getting support from all kinds of directions. We interviewed two rabbis for the book and they were just, I love these guys. They're just amazing. And those two were never afraid to approach whatever tensions there are. I mean, they just jump right into it. And it was very healthy. One of the big takeaways is that in coupleships, we have to learn to welcome the stranger in each other. And that there are times as we grow and do our jobs and interact with the world that we we grow separately. How they deal with, there's a lot of ways they deal with it, but one is the notion of just welcoming those differences. And that my partner has changed I've changed, but I need to welcome that so they keep growing, so we can keep growing. And I just think the notion of welcoming our differences, welcoming what's growing, uh, looking to that as a very positive thing is so, so wholesome uh, in relationships. Here's our next insight. The arguments that we have with our partners, as awful as they are, can also be an opportunity to grow. If you don't avoid those conflicts and approach them with openness, they can be a sort of creative space. I love how Jay uses that term. Now, getting feedback on our behavior can hurt a little, and goodness knows changing that behavior can be even more painful. But there's no other way to grow. And if we can do it in the context of long-term relationships, we get to do the hardest, best thing, which is grow together. Coming up, sometimes a couple needs help. In a moment, we'll talk about how difficult it can be to take the next step because of what we think it says about us. We'll be right back. If you consider how to your creative space, and we hope you do, the best way to support the show is by joining Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members will never hear another ad on our podcast or any other Slate podcast. You'll also get free and total access to Slate's website, 
Plus, you'll be helping us help all the people you hear on our podcast every single week. So I hope you'll join if you can. To sign up now, go to slate.com slash how to plus. Again, that's slate.com slash how to plus. We're back with our listener couple, Anjali and Rahul, and our expert couple, Carol and Jay Kasbon. Now, Carol and Jay have been married for 22 years, and throughout our conversation, they've been modeling a relationship filled with beautiful openness, humility, and wisdom. On the surface, Carol and Jay make it look so easy, (laughs) but therapy has been a huge factor in the growth of their marriage. And it can be really challenging to reach out for help, depending on the culture you come from, your family background, and what you think going to therapy says about the two of you. I asked Anjali and Rahul how comfortable they are with the idea of therapy. I think the the whole notion of therapy um, was uncomfortable growing up. I think it has become more and more, within air quotes, normal to me. Yes, I know more people who are going through that process and the help that it brings people. Now I'm a lot more comfortable today than I was, say, 10 years ago. What about you, Anjali? You know, do you feel comfortable talking to therapists or sort of like acknowledging your hardship with others? Um, So recently, Rahul and I had a fight that was, it went on for a lot longer than our fights usually do. And it was one of those things where I think fundamentally we just needed to change a bit of wiring before we could move on. It wasn't just a sorry fight where you just apologize and then just don't do it again. When we were having that fight, when we were sort of in the thick of it, I remember thinking, I wonder if we need therapy for this. And I never said it out loud because I actually don't know what the implications of that is. Like, does that mean, oh, the, the marriage isn't working? Um, if our, if somebody finds out or if our parents find out, it's probably going to be a big deal that we went to see a therapist. And I've been to therapy for myself before, but going to therapy together as a couple still feels like a daunting thing that I would encourage other people to do, but I don't know if I could fully (laughs) embrace it. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. But when it comes to your own marriage, like you were saying, Courtney, it just feels a bit, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. There's so many dynamics here that are going on. We men don't like to be vulnerable. And uh, an admission that you're bringing in a third party to work with some issues that can't be resolved on your own Uh, there's shame and there's all kinds of things at play that could be at play here that you just have to get through. It's interesting to me also that in the couples we interviewed, the first thing that really hit us that they were all saying was, if you really want this marriage to work, you've got to work on your stuff. You really have to take responsibility for your stuff. And if you need to get help, you get help. And, uh, that came over loud and clear with practically every couple we interviewed. You really want to put time and effort into this relationship like you have for your career, only even more so, because this is way more important. I know that I felt some shame about my relationship skills. <laughs> I, I, I don't feel like I learned relational fitness really Um, Of course, I was born in 1950, so I was in a really different generation. But I think realizing we needed therapy, I just felt shame. Like, why? How come, you know, how come we can't pull this off? What's, you know, I felt there's something wrong with me. (laughs) And um, I bet most people feel that way. 
going into therapy. So I had to move through that. But then on a deeper level, I thought, well, what's the goal here? Well, the goal is, you know, you impact each other so much. We're, we, we create a biosphere and we live in it. So what is happening in Jay is happening in me. It was just, you're so close. So if, if the waters are disturbed, then it's a sign and you can't calm them yourselves. And then the thing keeps happening. Well, this is a chance to invest. We keep using that word. Get some fresh perspective. We're learning to become more relationally fit. Just like we go to the gym, they become more physically fit. I love that. You know, you're really making me think if we can shift thinking about therapy as going to the hospital to going to the gym. Because I do think what you said, Anjali, is so true of so many couples where you think if you admit you need to go to couples therapy, it's a statement about our relationship is in deep peril. And so it it adds anxiety rather than alleviating anxiety. Whereas this notion of fitness and investment that you all are talking about is actually calms a couple down. It's like, oh, we're we're tending to our coupledom. We're tending to our relationship. And that's not a sign of weakness or of danger. It's a sign that, you know, we're vulnerable and and able to be brave together. A subtext of this whole conversation is that all of us are trying to create marriages based on the marriages we experienced as children. Now, that can be life-giving and totally beautiful. It can also be really hard, especially if we're trying to do something different with our own marriage. I asked Rahul and Anjali how they felt about that. I I don't actively think about this, but when I do... um especially when when we are fighting or we have a conflict i think back to like how my parents would have dealt with it in the past and that sort of is very different to how anjali deals with it so anjali really likes to kind of uh, confront the conflict and really get into it and talk about it and and resolve it until it re- gets resolved uh, whereas um my natural inclination is to just wait it out and, and, and let it resolve itself. So I think th- that probably comes from like how I've seen marriage work in, in my home growing up. Anjali, what about you? Um, I think sort of two things. So it, when my parents first got married um, and it was an arranged marriage and for the first sort of 15-ish years, they had this terrible, terrible marriage. And if they didn't have kids and all sorts of societal pressure, um, I think they would have just split up. But they they stuck it out and sort of after that 15, 16 year mark, they just became really good friends. And so now they have this really nice, deep, meaningful marriage where they really support each other and they've weathered the storm. And um, so their model now is something for me to look up to. But I, I do know growing up, I was like, this is definitely not what I want. And then the second thing is that I think marriages that I've been exposed to growing up have been very traditionally patriarchal. So the woman does this and then the man does this. So the men go out and um, they earn money, then they come back and then they sort of just chill, whereas the woman takes care of the house. And I think very earlier on, I had decided that was not going to be me. And I was, I was just not comfortable with being the stay-at-home mom that I'd seen growing up. I know that I consciously try to fight those stereotypes of... I'm always the only one cooking and he's the only one with work. I'm curious about this because both my husband and my parents have been married forever. My parents met in sixth grade and they have been dating since their sophomore year in high school. 
um, and their marriage is so beautiful in so many ways. And also, as I think my my parents would admit, is quite codependent. I was wondering if you could talk about just like in your journey with these couples who've been married for a long time, you know, do you think codependence is kind of inevitable? Is it possible to be a long married couple and not be codependent? Yes. I mean, I think the couples that we interviewed were more themselves individually, very strong in who they were. And that's why the dance between me and we is so important. When we become we, it doesn't mean we lose ourselves. We're still the me inside the we, and it's very beautiful to see. You know, there's some, some notion out there that couples have to merge, and we lose ourselves in the merging, and I call the merging smothering. I don't want to lose me in a relationship. I want to be fully who I am, and I want Carol to be fully who she is. So that's why conflict and welcoming the stranger is so important. I would say it depends (laughs) Um, on personality, especially. I think I have a tendency to merge with the people I'm around. I think the lines between independence, interdependence, and codependence is a continuum. And I would say I ride that line (laughs) between that independence and interdependence. And then the codependence, like I I think I willingly um, rely on Jay for things that um, I'm not very strong in. And I I think I need to, you know, I think as I'm aging, I realize I I have to be careful with that, you know. Yeah, I I really identify that with that, Caroline. You know, particularly if you are a caregiving, um, empathic person who's a little bit more easygoing, it can be easy to sort of get into that that merge Mm -hmm. dance. Yeah. Um, And caretaking, I mean, which is such a central part of marriage, whether you have children or not. Um, I do want to call out one elephant in our proverbial room, which is that, you know, 50% of marriages or whatever the recent, most recent statistic is don't work out. And unfortunately, I feel like in our culture, we do still have quite a narrative about that being a failure. You know, when people say they're getting a divorce, we say, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, when in fact, it could be congratulations. It could be transformation. It could be really healthy for the couple and or children involved, right? So I did want to hear you, Carolyn Jay. I know you've had multiple marriages. Talk a little bit about how does one know, you know, just as we were saying, like, you know, sometimes you got to know to go to therapy or to seek some outside guidance. How does one know when this relationship can no longer hold these two people in a healthy way and that it needs to, to move on? Boy, um, it's been a, a while since I, I left my first marriage, but... Um, I just felt dead in that marriage. And we went to counseling together. I rearranged the deck chairs. I did everything I could. Wonderful man. And I just didn't feel like he was somebody I could grow forward with. And we were very out of sync in some elemental levels. But I would add that you pay a price when you divorce, especially if you have children. You pack your bags and you take your baggage with you. So if there are things that are you running into in a current relationship, if that person's normal and doesn't have you know uh, mental illness or other problems, those things will show up um, again in your next relationship. So if you can hold it together and there's still a lot of life there to, to get the flame back, I would say invest, do it all you can to invest in your current relationship. And then if that doesn't work out, 
you know, life is short, move on. You deserve to have the life that you're meant to have. And if your soul is taking you in that direction, then I would say go for it. I would say sometimes relationships get used up. And how you know that is not just on your own, you've, you've reached out and you've gotten uh, uh, some help that has, has, has gotten you to the point where you say, this is used up. And then what you do is you do the best you can to transition out of that relationship in as friendly a way as possible. And you move on, but not lightly. You don't leave any relationship lightly like that. As we're wrapping up here, I do want to hit one lighter note. I mean, I think we've had a little bit of lightness, but one of the things I loved in in your book, Side by Side, Carol and Jay, is you wrote these Beatitudes and... um, and they're very rich. We should share them um, with you all, um, Anjali and Rahul. But I wanted uh, to read the last one because I thought it was it was so sweet. It said, Blessed is the couple who celebrates life with the spirits of tomfoolery, shenanigans, <laughs> creativity, and play, for they shall know humor and mirth and have some really good times. Um, I just loved that because I do feel like in my marriage, our ability to make fun of each other, make fun of ourselves, laugh at our kids, you know, there's just so much laughter. And for Mm -hmm. me, that does feel like a sign of health in our relationship. When we stop laughing, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on here? That's how I feel. There's a little bit of Zorba the Greek in me. And I just think when we can bring that into our relationships and uh, celebrate I really love Carol, and I'd and I love to have fun with her. Speaking of fun, before I let them go, we have to find out the surprises that Anjali and Rahul are planning for their three-year anniversary. Um, Rahul's surprise activity was last week, um, and he booked a pottery workshop for us. We did... Um, clay modeling by hand and then on the wheel. It was really nice and it was really fun kind of watching each other, you know, make something with our hands. And my activity is next weekend, so I can't say what it is yet. (laughs) Beautiful. I love that. Now I'm imagining the scene from Ghost. Do you guys remember that iconic scene from the Ghost movie? Very romantic. I feel like Anjali and Rahul, you two actually are are so wise. I know that you're the, on the younger end of this conversation, but I was wondering if you two have any advice for um, couples that might be listening who've just gotten married. Great question. <laughs> yeah, I guess um, it may sound like a cliche, but don't go to bed angry without resolving a fight. <laughs> Said by the guy who wants everything to work. Out, so I'm pretty... I'm really, I'm, I'm seeing your growth already, Rahul. That's awesome. Anjali, what about you? So mine was going to be a bit more practical. We, um, a few months ago, realized that we have weekly team meetings in both of the teams that we work in. But technically, we're a team as well. So we should have weekly team meetings as well. So every Sunday, we kind of sit down and um, we have a word document. So we kind of map out groceries, think about things that we need to do this week, who's cooking dinner on a Thursday. And I find that just on a practical level, it's really, really made us be able to have more time for each other during the week because we're not busy thinking about who's doing the grocery shopping, what are we going to make for dinner? Because some of that cognitive load is just taken away from us. So during the week when we're busy with work, we're just able to float by. 
That's also a great feminist act. You were talking about trying to break the patriarchal patterns. And I (laughs) just want to underscore that I think for a couple trying to unlearn some of that gendered stuff, that's a beautiful beautiful ritual. Thank you. Anjali and Rahul, was this helpful? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think um, I, I really loved, and I know you did as well, when you were talking about silence and practicing silence mm. with each other. I think that's something I definitely want to try. <laughs> I love that. Now if I can just convince my seven-year-old to also take an oath of silence. <laughs> <laughs> no, <I> don't... <laughs> Never going to happen. Never going to happen. Thank you so much to Anjali and Rahul for their question and for being so candid with us. And thanks to Carol and Jake Hasbon for sharing so much great advice. Their book, once again, is called Side by Side, The Sacred Art of Couples Aging with Wisdom and Love. We'll link to it in our show notes. And by the way, just a quick update from Anjali and Rahul. So we just finished our Um, second surprise activity, which was salsa dancing, and I had booked it, and it was a surprise for Rahul. Um, And it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had never done that before and had more fun than I thought I would in the beginning of the class. We we didn't even realize where the hour went. Um, It was a lot of listening to the other person, making sure you knew what the other person was going to do so you could respond accordingly, which our instructor actually pointed out is a lot like marriage. Yeah, and we've been uh, since talking about taking more regular lessons and getting better at it. Do you have an issue that needs to be mirrored back to you? Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. We might just have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend, a husband, a wife, a partner. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Joel Meyer is senior editor. The show is produced by Rosemary Belson with Kevin Bendis and Jabari Butler. Merritt Jacob is senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. And Carvel Wallace is my co-host. I'm Courtney Martin. Thanks for listening. Listening.